Shalom, and welcome again to our brand new series in the Book of Leviticus with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon. In our last program, we were shown how important it is to see Leviticus not simply as a book, but rather as a mirror. This book is not for God, it's a book for us. We are going to hear over the course of these sermons how animal sacrifices was the method that God used to atone for, to cover our sins. Now, we would agree that God does not take pleasure in the death of his creatures, but this was done so that we might understand that their death was a result of our sins. Leviticus points us right to the eternal truth from Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But even in the selection of animals for the sacrifice, God demonstrates his grace. God didn't choose animals that would be so difficult to capture. Imagine if one of the land animals he chose was the cheetah, clocking in at 100 kilometers an hour. Good luck catching that one. Or from the world of birds, imagine if he chose the owl, which can so easily hide from so many of its predators, both day and night. God actually made it easy for the Israelites by almost giving these animals into their hands. And when it comes to supplying our gifts, he makes it easy for us. God doesn't ask us to learn the trade, mature in the faith for the next five years in order to gain a gift, but he freely bestows spiritual gifts on us at the moment of our salvation. And so when he asks us to offer them up as a sacrifice to him, we already have what he's asking for. We just need to be ready and willing to give it over to him. Our time, our heart, and our will. Thank you, Lord, for the example of your son, Yeshua, who did just that. His offer is not so far away that we cannot catch it because he makes the greatest gift, salvation, available to each one of us. Be blessed as you listen into today's program with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon and Shalom Shalom. Then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, The book begins with an unusual way, with the words ve, meaning and. In the Hebrew, veikra. By the way, this is the title in Judaism about this book, veikra. And he said, The presence of the word and, ve, brings us to link it with the previous book, for where just Exodus left off, that is, Leviticus takes over. At the end of the book of, Levi- of Exodus, the tabernacle is built. And now we're about to know how to approach God because the tabernacle was the place where God dwelt. This is when the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And these words brings, us, brings out that it is the solemnity of the importance of the message already. The tent of meeting that is called Ohel Moed is also called Mishkan or Tabernacle at other places. And it was not easy to approach it and even less to enter it. But see that right away we are confronted with a dichotomy when it comes to the relationship between Moses and God. Something that the rabbis actually noticed. Before we read how Moses spoke to God face to face. And mouth to mouth in the book of Numbers. We're also told that Moses beheld the likeness of God in Numbers chapter 12. But here he can even enter the tent of meeting. Which is where the holy place.
place is, where the menorah, the table of bread, and the altar of incense were, and including the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And here in this book, Moses does not have the same access or familiarity with God as before. For its message brings us to consider that one aspect of the Lord that constitutes his very nature, that is his holiness. What is being emphasized here is that God himself is holy, he is kadosh, and set apart from all his creation and including Moses, of course. But see that we are faced with the two aspects of God in the Hebrew scripture. On the one hand, he is inapproachable, so mighty and holy, it is impossible to be face to face with him. For like here in Leviticus, he is the judge. On the other hand, God is so close. Like a shepherd, you know, that he walked with Adam in the garden. He came to see Abraham and he called them by his proper name. Abraham called them by his proper name. And you know what? They dined together in Genesis 18. And they conversed. And later on, he fought with Jacob in Genesis 32:30. And then we see him so close to Moses. Let's not forget David, who pleased so often for the reassurance of God's presence and for answers to his deep needs. And God was there for David. But how does one resolve this two manifestation of the divine that we find in the scriptures? His transcendence and, and his personal attendance to each of our deep matters. How? Because it is linked by the presence of the Messiah. The Messiah is he who reconciled this dual reality. Because this is what the book of Leviticus is about to teach us. These two manifestations of God in the Hebrew scriptures became a problem of interpretation in Judaism. And it may very well be one of the main reasons why they moved away from the scriptures and created their own religion. For they do not have to face such a grandiose truth and recognize that Yeshua is the Messiah. Leviticus will tell us much about the one who bridges the connection between us and God's holiness. It is the holiness of the Messiah that is applied to our lives. And notice which name of the Lord is used in verse 1. His proper name. yud heh vav -Heh. Rabbinical commentators in the Sifra. The Sifra, which is an Aramaic ancient commentary on Leviticus, which dates from the first century and frequently quoted in the Talmud. They've noticed, and I quote, The Lord, yud heh vav -Heh, Throughout the Torah, only this name is used in connection to the sacrifices. That is, when it comes to sacrifices, when it comes to getting close to God, when it comes to offerings, this is the only name that is used. But why this name and no other name of God? This name, Jehovah, speaks of his relationship with men. It is the one who recalls his promises, his covenant loyalty, and his friendship with us. It is the name which brings the heart of God to us. Through it, he is our father, he is our savior, he is our shepherd. No wonder this is the only name that is used in regard to the sacrifices for these offerings are about to teach us his deep desire to communicate with every one of us, to speak to us and even to secure our place with them in the heavenlies for eternity. This brings us to another truth, by the way, found in this verse which I will tell you very soon. Now concerning Moses, there's also something really touching in the way the Hebrew text is written. The word veikra, the title, the, the first word of the book, notice the last letter, 
the last on the left side for Hebrew is read from right uh, to left. Notice how it is small in the slide. Actually, you can't really see it here, right? It is smaller than the other letters. Why is that? In the original text, uh, by the way, I'm not sure, but if this is inspired, uh, the, the reason given, so especially by the rabbis, is that while this word may be written without an aleph, as was the case when God spoke to Balaam, let's say, when Moses wrote Leviticus, he understood that this letter may represent him. And so as a sign of humility, he wrote it very small. It's, it's nice to see these little things. But see again in verse 1. There is one great truth that is brought out right in the first verse. And this is important. God called Moses. He told them to go and what? Speak to the children of Israel. God did not go to the people himself, right? He used a mediator. He used a mediator. Right at the outset of the plan of redemption that is about to be revealed to us in this book, we find the need of a mediator who can only be the Messiah as he answers all the requirements that are in Leviticus. Today, many say, oh, I don't need a mediator to come to God. You know, that is definitely a preferred line of defense to use in today's Judaism. Read the book of Leviticus. But the need of one, by the way, is written throughout the book, and it begins right here. This theme then is developed throughout Leviticus and will lead us to see that the mediator, is, again, is the Messiah Yeshua. Because without him, without the Messiah, as you read this book, you would sink into despair with the impossible requirements of the sacrifices and of the demands of holiness in order to approach God. That, I believe, is the point of the laws. It is given in such a way that, that, that the reader will look for an exit door somewhere from all its condemnation. And if you're looking for one, you go to see the Messiah. This is something that we will emphasize with the help of many quotations from the New Testament who actually profusely quotes and alludes to Leviticus. And because Leviticus opens up a new era, the, the era of the preparation of the coming of the Messiah, really, with all the sacrifices, we will encounter a new vocabulary, new words. Let's read verse 2. And there, actually, we encounter one important word. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, and shall bring, you shall bring the, your offering of animals from the herd and the flock. It is here when we read the word offering, korban. Korban in Hebrew, this is the first of 80, 80 mention of this word in the Hebrew scriptures. And it defines well for us the purpose of the sacrifices. The word korban is from the word karab, meaning to come near, to approach. These offerings that were a way to approach God and to maintain a relationship with him. This word became such an important word in Judaism that it was used for declaring, without any possible change, something dedicated to God. Korban, they say, and that's it. Do you remember in the book of Mark, chapter 7, verse 10 to 11, where Yeshua denounces the abuse of this word when one uses it to avoid the responsibility towards his parents? 
It says, For Moses said, he said to them, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is put to death. But you, he says, those who change the word of God. If a man says to his father or his mother, Whatever I have that I would help you is korban. That is, I'll give it to God. This is, by the way, a case of using the word of God against God. I will explain this with an example. Say you had a religious Pharisee who, who cared more about his sect than he did for his parents. He might choose to allot money he received and give it to the temple rather than financially support the needs of his parents, which the Bible actually orders us to. For this, he just needs to say, Korban, as in dedicated to God, and that money will be only used for the temple and abandon his parents. That angered Jesus. Yeshua said that they invalidated the word of God and neglected their, their responsibility when tradition actually at this point superseded the word of God. They came. They had come to use the word of God against the word of God. Sounds familiar, by the way? This is what so many are doing, using passages in the Bible to support their action, which are contrary to God's law. Or like some who force an interpretation or convey a new doctrine. A new way of thinking, which at the end is just an old ways, the old ways of the serpent, really. Later in this chapter, Jesus accuses them to invalidate the words by their tradition. For us today, we can see the importance from this passage of Mark. We can see the importance of this word, which was understood to link one to God. The korban, or offering, allowed the person actually to come close to God. Now see, they do not only <clears throat> needed a mediator, but they needed a korban as well. Jesus is, the, is both of them. He is the mediator and he is the sacrifice. By the way, the types of animals are described for us. There are three in this chapter. Two are mentioned in verse 2. Uh, animals from the herd and the flock. From the herd, barak in Hebrew are the bulls, the cows, the heifer. The name Barak comes from the root word meaning to clear, to glean, and they were so-called for they were used for plowing. They were useful animals. And from the flock, that is Zon, Zon came to designate the smaller cattle comprised of the sheep and goats. And verse 4, are the regulation for the herd. And verse 10, the regulation for the flock. And beginning in verse 14, we find the third kind of sacrifice for the birds, where we read that it could be a dove or a pigeon, followed by the regulations for these sacrifices. But why these kind of animals among so many others? First, as one ancient commentator says, all these animals here have something in common. They are so nice and submissive. They were not wild at all. God did not choose a turkey or a rooster who are very loud. Imagine bringing this in the temple like this. Everybody will get panicked. But he chose a dove. He chose a pigeon. And these traits leads us to see who they actually represent. That is Yeshua, the Messiah, who was so nice, considerate, so loving, and always submitted to his father so he could fulfill his mission, and he did. All the animal sacrifice showed the face of the Messiah. The lamb, for instance, showed the innocence of the Messiah and his willingness to yield to death. The bull showed his patience and obedience to death. 
The dove and the pigeon, these showed his innocence and sorrow and also his blamelessness. This we'll see more when we'll consider the burnt offerings. And there's a practical side. First, to the choice of these animals. Again, why chose these three types? It goes from bigger, that is the most expensive, to the smaller. Then to the least expensive. It covers different levels of financial ability, but each type was important because after the mention of these sacrifices, we find the words, a stamp from God. He says, all of these are a soothing aroma to the Lord. What this word really means, we'll see later, but this shows that God did not make a distinction between classes of people. Every sacrifice is accepted. And consider the third kind of animal offered, the dove, the pigeon. Does that remind you of something? This brings us right to Joseph and to Mary, where they offered their sacrifice at the temple. The choice of animal indicates to us that they were of low financial position. They were very poor. We read in Luke 2, 22, he says, Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, by the way, that we find in chapter 12, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of a turtle dove and two pigeons. Why a pair? Remember this. We're going to see this very soon. There's a, a message there. And so this was done according to the law from the book of Leviticus. And here we learn that Yeshua was born in a very poor family. As the prophecy of Isaiah 11, if you remember verse 1, then a shoot will spring out from the stem of Jesse and a branch from its roots that is a netzer, a really a sprout, an offshoot, not a branch. Yeshua was born, was not born, that is, in a palace, but he, was, he came poor and suffering so that he understands, like the book of Hebrews says, he understands all our sufferings. You know, this information also brings us to appreciate the expensive gift that given to Joseph from the Magi's, gold, myrrh, and frankincense, which we will meet, especially the frankincense, soon in the next chapter. And furthermore, all these animals in Leviticus were domesticated, perhaps because God wanted to make it easy for them to find their offering. They did not need to go and capture one in the wild or go to the sea to fish one. The best gift of God are usually right at our doorstep. It all begins at home. And furthermore, we learn in verse 3 about two more requirements. This is what... The first part says, and his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, and he shall offer it a male without blemish. First, it shall be a male. Why, might it, why, why a male? Perhaps because the female may be feeding a calf, or also may be providing food that is milk for the people. Second, and this is important, the animal had to be without defect. Without defect. And this is one important quality that is repeated over and over in Leviticus. 17 times, 17 times that is, in Leviticus, the Israelites were told that the animal was to be without blemish. In all, with Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, God told them 46 times that the animal had to be without blemish. What do you think this emphasis? Peter explained this for us. Look at 1 Peter 1, 18 to 18, 18 to 19, that is, when he says, 
knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of the Messiah as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That was a prophecy for Yeshua. Here Peter was referring to the often repeated command to have the animals offered without blemish so they could be accepted by God. But all these commandments were a prophecy of the coming Messiah, who was the unleavened bread himself. However, there's something very powerful in this description which comes right to us today. The same word and blemish, Amos, is used to designate the believer as well. This is how Leviticus speaks to us. We're told in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. The same word as used in Peter. This verse brings us right to the book of Leviticus and compares the believer to these well and meticulous chosen animals who are to be without blemish and in order to be presented to God. We will see in the study of the burnt offering that while these animals point to the Messiah who fulfills all these requirements for us, these sacrifices are also a type of the believer today who are called to always work out their salvation. That is, always seek to improve their spiritual growth. And there's another thing I want to bring to you in the choice of these animals. While from the flock or the herb, it had to be one of them, a male, okay, and without defect, it was different for the dove and the pigeon. It had to be by pairs. You've noticed that Joseph and Miriam brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, like the law prescribes in Leviticus 12.8. Why two? Not one when it comes to these birds, and why not specify a male or a female? We learned that the doves or pigeons are lifetime mates. The male and the female pair for life. And if a male dies, the other will undergo a strong period of mourning. I read a story about a dove who died and the mate came for the next eight days and sat at the place where its mate died and for hours. Perhaps not to break this unity because there's a moral law behind every commandment. Perhaps not to break this unity and leave them in sadness, both were allowed to be brought male and female. Furthermore, doves and pigeons were not required to be without blemish. Interesting how the blemish of one would separate the pair. You know, to conclude, how do the first two verses that we have seen in Leviticus speak to the believers today? We see how man could not approach God at the tent of meeting, which is the tabernacle itself. They could not approach it because the glory of the Lord dwelt in it. We learn from the book of Numbers how difficult it was even for the priest to enter the first part and how only one of them, the high priest, could enter the second part, which is the Holy of Holies. Any mistakes, any mistake that is from their part would incur immediate death. As for the people themselves, they simply never entered the tent of meeting for only the Levites, and only a small number of them could do that. But as far as we're concerned, I just want to tell you, we're brought to such a high level. We're told that today, we are actually the tent of meeting. 
we are actually the temple of God, as we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been brought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. That's what Leviticus tells us. Perhaps we have not yet grasped the great privilege and responsibility to represent the tent of meeting to the people around us. Moses could not enter it. But now through Yeshua, we are. We have become this tent. This also emphasizes the humongous gift of salvation we're given in the moment of our salvation. We often talk about all that the Lord has prepared for us in heaven, but look what we, He gave us here on earth. We are the temple, we are His abode. Just this verse bids us to really walk with God, realizing His omnipresence in us. And see the last words of Paul in this verse, for you have been bought with a price, right? As we're about to look in the sacrifices, He reminds us that Yeshua is actually the last sacrifice. You don't have to go and line up with your animal anymore. But we need to cleanse ourselves. Amen? Let us pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you for your amazing grace revealed in Yeshua Mashiach. And we, we thank you that he now appears in heaven to intercede for us as our mediator. Thank you so much for, for his coming in grace, for his throne of grace, for his all-sufficient grace. Please help us to marvel at it today and to find it meets all our deepest needs. We pray under the mighty name of Yeshua, who is again our mediator, our redeemer, our priest, and our ultimate sacrifice. We may not at time fully comprehend all that you are right now doing for us, but we thank you and praise you in his name. And to you, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Shalom Ariel is a daily radio program emphasizing the Jewish perspective of Scripture. God is not through dealing with Israel, nor will he renege any of the promises he has made to her. Our teacher for this program, Jacques Isaac Gabizon, is a Messianic Jewish believer and Messianic leader at Beth Ariel Congregation right here in Montreal. If you've been encouraged by the messages, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one 685 5902 or you may write us at info at Beth Ariel, B-E-T-H, a-R-I-E-L, all one word, dot C-A. You are also welcome to join us for our Saturday morning services. We are located at 6297 Monkland Boulevard, corner of Madison in NDG. The message is given in English, but we do offer simultaneous translation into French and Russian. Services begin at 11 a.m. We have Shabbat school for children of all ages, up to and including teens. You may also download audio messages from our website at bethariel.ca and enjoy other in-depth teaching from Jacques Isaac. If you would like to sign up for informative newsletters, log on to our website and add your name to our email list. Shalom Ariel is a listener-supported program. If you have it on your heart to donate, it will be a great blessing for the continuing ministry and outreach of Beth Ariel. Thank you and Shalom Shalom.